<laughs> we have Penny Lane in the Trail Studio, and here's the thing: um, I, I I told my wife I wasn't going to play it, knowing you were coming in for the interview. And uh, then I told my Facebook community that I wasn't going to play it. And then you said, you know, I was thinking about that and I was I wishing more people would embrace it. So, uh, I mean, it's a good song. (laughs) And just so people know, you're uh, you're uh, you're not old enough to be the Penny Lane. That's a street. If you pay close attention to the lyrics. And you are um, essentially, uh, you know, much younger than uh, the Beatles. Right. Yeah. And a young filmmaker, um, as far as having a retrospective at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, that's what this is all about. Nick Davis uh, bringing directors through, and uh, we had a director on this morning, and we're going to have filmmakers all this week like we normally do. But if you are new to the area or new to the trail, first of all, welcome. Second of all, this is one thing that we uh, think is important enough to uh, shine a spotlight on. So your retros- retrospective is today. Mm-hmm. Now, now forgive me for thinking that retrospectives are normally, <laughs> I feel like normally a thing for somebody with gray hair. You <laughs> know, some grays. like let's do a <laughs> let's do a retrospective because this person's been around forever and their body of work is such that um we need to do a retrospective. Mm-hmm. Your body of work is already quite large. Yeah, so I've been making films for about, I don't know, 10 years. I've made six features in 10 years and a bunch of shorts, and here I am, yeah. <laughs> the um, I was looking up some of your background and you you've, you went to school for film. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything in your education that made you think, hey, this is something I'm gonna roll on? Uh, literally um, hmm. documentary filmmaking. Yeah, I think the thing about documentaries is that they're, they really reward people who just have like a lot of curiosity and mm-hmm. enthusiasm. Um, and so I always was a little bit like, like I thought I'd be an academic, but I couldn't kind of commit to one field. Right. So documentarians like don't have to commit to one field. Like we can just sort of spend two years thinking about religion and then move on and talk mm-hmm. about something else. And so for me, it really rewards like what I'm good at, which is my dilettantism. Like I like to go deep into a subject and then right. kind of just move on. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a mid-career retrospective, yeah. really. Yeah. If we can call we it, so. <laughs> we can call it a mid a mid-career. And and just some of what you've done, and we're gonna kind of um, oh, this is gonna be great. I think we're gonna offend a couple of different different crowds here. Yeah, we try to equally offend everyone okay. if we can. Which which film do you wanna do you wanna lead? Um, talking about let's i got an idea let's ease into it okay okay great. let's ease into the films that are part of this retrospective um with this one remember these sonorous notes of course that's the the great saxophone player kenny g and if you were around when we were around listening, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing Kenny G and people having opinions of Kenny G. And I got to tell you, my I softened a little bit today listening <laughs> to Kenny G because I was like, oh, yeah, the saxophone was kind of a, a big instrument. Oh, hang on. Hey, oops, that's the next. That's the next one. Um, but Kenny G was really part of the tapestry of of the of the 80s so you have the film it's a 96 minute film called listening to kenny g what made you think about doing a a a film on kenny g 
Well, you know, I was approached by HBO because they were putting together a series called Music Box, um, a series of featured documentaries about musicians, and they wanted me to pitch them ideas. And at first I was like, I don't know. I, I just, like, I don't love music documentaries. It's yeah. not my thing. Like, even musicians that I really love, I don't really seek out a documentary about them. Like, right. it just isn't a form that interests me very much. But I really wanted the job, and so I thought, well, let me try to think of something for this series. And when I thought back to... You know, I used to teach art to undergraduates. That was my full-time like day job for over a decade. And one of the things you do when you teach art to undergraduates is if you're intellectually honest, you spend a lot of time trying to think through like what makes something art, what makes art good, um, and how do you really work through that? When you're a person who gets to grade people's art, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, you're sort of confronted yeah. with your own subjectivity and at the end of the day, like sort of acknowledging that you're just in this power position, like a, like a film critic or yeah. like any other gatekeeper. Sure, sure. Um, and so I always a, thought that was- A radio announcer could yes, be a gatekeeper. Exactly. We're, we're going to play this song, not that song. Exactly. And yeah. so, so I thought that, so I always felt like those conversations about taste and where taste enters into the picture were always my favorite conversations to have with like bright undergraduates because- it's so thorny and there's mm -hmm. just no end to it. Like, you're just like, it's good. It's bad. Like, well, uh, you know, yeah. what's the, what are we yeah. going from here? Uh, and people get so emotional about their musical taste in particular. Oh yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. you know, and people build whole identities around their taste in music, um, yeah. social identities. Yeah. So those are the kind of things I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. What would be a musician that I could think of who inspires like that kind of debate? Uh -huh. And being a child of the 90s when Kenny was like, as you said, ubiquitous, mm -hmm. unescapable, perhaps, <laughs> you know, whether you liked it or not, like yeah. he was just part of the, like, your life. Yep. I also remembered all my kind of 90s punk rock friends being like, he was just the worst. Like he right. was the punchline of like the worst, most sellout, you know, corporate, lowest common denominator kind of music. But I also knew enough to know that he was wildly successful and had right. sold like more records than the Velvet Underground. And so I thought, well, he's got to have fans. <laughs> like I, people must like yeah, his music. Yeah. I mean, well, I already learned something and I haven't even seen the documentary yet. I watched the trailer mm -hmm. and, and one of the things Kenny's own words said, he didn't invent this to sell. This is his taste. This is his voice. Yeah. And the idea that it didn't come down from a boardroom. Isn't that strange just, though? I had the same feeling. The, yeah. Like, why did like, I think that? Like, I really thought it was like cooked up in a lab somewhere. Yeah, of course yeah. there's an artist behind it. And of course he's making the music that he right. personally loves. And he said, you know, if I had been, he said, I'm not that smart. Is what he <laughs> says. He says, this is just music I enjoyed playing. Yeah. And then of course the, the jazz purists. Oh man, is there anything, <laughs> is there anything meaner than a jazz? Jazz purist. Is there anything like, funnier than funnier. a jazz purist yeah. being upset about Kenny G? So yeah, so that's kind of for people that haven't seen it. Like that's the premise of the film is, you know, Kenny G is probably the most successful living jazz musician. Mm -hmm. Why does that make people who love jazz so angry? Right. Like that's kind of the question of the film. And so rather than sort of doing a music doc where you just you know parade people out to tell you how much they love this musician and right. how great they are, it's the opposite. So. Right. All of the critics in the film are there to tell you just how bad Kenny G is. People are going to know, like, there's another documentary film that you did we'll talk about in a second. But um, again, I'm talking to director Penny Lane at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. You are listening to The Trail 103.3. I'm Mike Smith. So it's not edgy. 
the the subject matter isn't edgy. No, it's the opposite of edgy. But it's, it's still it's smooth. Interesting, it's the smoothest music. There are no edges in smooth jazz. It's an interesting conversation. <laughs> and a few years back, I have a friend who's a, a, an art and music critic in Boston. And he and I were having a conversation and I decided after said conversation to dump the words um, uh, guilty pleasure. Yeah. I'm done with that. Yeah. If I like it, I like it. If I'm going to listen to something that people might not think that I would normally like, I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kenny G, maybe. Yeah. Not sure. <laughs> I don't know. You'll see. I mean, the object of the film is definitely not to convince people who don't like his music that right. they should. Right. But I do think that there's another kind of conversation that can be had about just what's at stake in that conversation and why we are so emotional about it. Yeah. Um, and because the Kenny phenomenon is, I mean, he's still around. He's still a huge artist, but yeah. he's not the kind of huge artist he was in the 80s and 90s. Well, that clip we just played, Songbird. Um, you know, if you had the royalties for uh, even just a, a one note of that, you would be you'd <laughs> yeah. be set up. <laughs> yeah, it's in Pretty Woman. I recently found out. <laughs> oh no, kidding! Yeah, I like was watching Pretty Woman, and then I was like, oh, I didn't yeah. I didn't realize Songbirds in this yeah. movie. It's one of the many movies that it's because it's, been, it's but... seeped in everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's seeped. Um, and that's why your friends who were like uh, into the punk rock scene, it still ended up in their ear holes. Well, that was one of the so. things that one of the music critics in my film said, uh, Ben Ratliff, who's a, you know, a jazz and pop critic for the New York Times, brilliant guy. And he, he basically said that he associated that music with what he he described it as a corporate attempt to soothe my nerves. Yeah. And he didn't like that because he didn't like being treated like an ant, you know, right. like kind of like using music yeah. as social control. Yeah. So there's an element of how Kenny's music is used. Right. Whether it's not about Kenny's soul and what he meant by right. making it, but like how it's used to like calm people down and keep them docile. While you're shopping. Yeah. Or like on the Weather Channel. When I was growing up, it was mm-hmm. always in the Weather Channel um, yeah. or at the airport, you know, like. Yeah, in the dentist office, like that—that's the kind of the use to which it's put mm-hmm. can be is different than like what the artistic intention well, it's was. Inter- there's a there was a format uh, radio station format uh, way back when that would just play all the hits, and so they'd go from Kenny G to something by the Cure. Yeah, you know, <laughs> totally. and that that was an interesting childhood that way, and that's how I know about Kenny G. Yeah, that's how I know about the Cure. <laughs> Tell you a little something about both. So, so this is your newest film. It looks like yeah. in the retrospective. Oh, hang on, Nick uh, Nick Davis. I can interrupt for just a second here. Yeah. If you're listening to this and thinking, dang, I really want to see this Kenny G film. It's uh, on right now, right? Today. Yeah. No, get to, get over to the Wilma. It's okay. 12, 1230 is, uh, is when the film begins. Yeah, and that's, and you're kicking around. After we do this, I'll go do the Q&A. So nice. Continue and, the and, conversation. And so you've already seen the film. So you, and you, you did it. So you know everything. And that's an important point, Nick Davis. If you're like, okay, I'm ready to watch some films. I'm going to turn off the trail and go in and watch some films. You can do that right now. You can head down to the Wilma. Uh, other venues being uh, Zach. Zach and, and the uh, MCT. And MCT. Yes. And then the website's Great Clearing House for that as well. BigSkyFilmFest.org. Nick Davis in the Trail Studio. Also, Penny Lane. Penny, we got to play this other. Uh, I actually just took the audio from um, the uh, the film Hail Satan? Question <laughs> mark. Film uh, put together back in 2019. Let's, uh, let's take a listen. It's a beautiful day here at the state capitol. Great day to be a Satanist. I believe it and I'm very excited about it. 
We're not what you think we are. Satanic Temple was an idea between a handful of people directly confronting authority. This makes life fun. State officials have put up a Ten Commandments monument on government property. Satanists are demanding equal rights. I am a tax-paying member of Arkansas, and I don't want that there. They just want to irritate. The Satanic Temple says, you also need to put up our monument to Satanism. As a Satanist, I believe that confronting injustice is an expression of one's Satanic faith. You see Christian theocracy just creeping itself into our government, and it is our duty to stand up to this. We want people to evaluate the United States being a Christian nation. It's not. We are supposed to be a nation that doesn't allow the government to dictate what is appropriate religious expression. Satanists sue Missouri. If we're being sued by the Satanic Temple, we got to be doing something right. It's our goal to shut down their agenda, which is to bring death and destruction. You guys are horrible people. Is this how everyone that's different is treated? It is out of not only Satanism, but patriotism that I am motivated. Satanism is looking out for the other, because we are the other. I am following a code of ethics having fellowship with brethren, why can't that be a religion? We do indeed invoke Satan. We have gone from three people to 50,000. There's no doubt that this is my life's work. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Are you, are you kidding me? We've, we've gone from Kenny G to Hail Satan, question mark? A uh, documentary film being shown tonight at the Wilma at 5.30. That one's not available for stream. You got to show up. You got to be daring and show up at the Wilma <laughs> Theater tonight. Director Penny Lane is in the Trail studio. Um, where do we start to unpack this one? First of all, where did you, uh, mm -hmm. at what point did you decide that was um, the focus of a film you were going to put together? Well, I heard about the Satanic Temple, you know, just in the news. They had had this you know, kind of big stunt that had been very successful, which is referenced in that trailer where they had requested the state of Oklahoma put up a, you know, 10 foot high bronze, you know, monument to Satanism right next to the Ten Commandments statue that had just been erected on the State House lawn. And it caused a constitutional crisis because on the one hand, it seems completely absurd, like, well, you can't do that. But you, you actually yeah. also, once you've opened the public forum for religious expression, it's pretty hard legally to discriminate amongst religions once you've done it. Like, so you can have no religious monuments on the state house lawn mm -hmm. and you're fine. <laughs> but yeah. once you've put up a Christian monument, you've opened the door to, you know, any other religion that we are not allowed to discriminate against. So yep. the state of Oklahoma then had to kind of scramble to figure out how to say no to this request legally. But it, so I saw this stunt and I thought this is, hilarious it's smart it's interesting i've always been interested in the role of religion in politics and i thought these funny people are pretending to be satanists right which of course they're not he says we're not who you think we are right so yep. i'm thinking they're joking and it's a prank right but then i looked into it more and i realized that by then they already had like tens of thousands of members mm-hmm in this church and so i thought well it can't just be a prank because who are these tens of thousands of people right. who are signing up for the satanic temple's religious services 
uh, if they're just pretending to be Satanist, they must be Satanist and I must not know what a Satanist is. That was kind of where I was at that point. So that's what got me started on it, wanting to understand how this particular religion, which is an atheistic religion, they don't believe in God or Satan literally, they're embracing the symbolic power of the satanic image to kind of express themselves in a religious way. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. I want to know more about that. So Satanism, ultimately, I learned, had this kind of cheeky, mischievous, trolling, pranking Mm -hmm. center to it. And that they were not, like, in other words, the question seemed to be like, well, are they really Satanists or are they joking and then i realized that joking is really central to satanism and so they were both and so yeah. i it was a fabulous project i loved it we had so much fun getting to know these people and really exploring some of these big questions that they kind of force on you and, yeah. and they know they're offensive i mean that's the whole point right yep um so the topic isn't going anywhere in fact it's growing yeah not satanism per se but this idea that that uh it sounds like they're exploring and you're exploring with your cameras the idea that we're having a lot it happens in helena it happens in dc it happens in all the the capitals school board meetings everywhere else yeah a lot of proclamations are being made and an educated people should whatever the proclamation is take that to its logical conclusion yeah. Or in some cases, illogical conclusion. Yeah, it's a huge challenge because it is. A, we we live in a very unique, uniquely free country, and that is what makes America great. Yeah. Um, but part of what we're trying to do with our Constitution and our Bill of Rights is both protect religion mm-hmm. and keep it out of the public square. Right. It's very hard to balance that. So yeah. if somebody wants to pray in school, it's a really tricky line mm-hmm. um, to be sure that we're allowing someone to express themselves religiously, but not putting people into a position where they're being forced to adhere to religion right. that maybe they don't believe in. It's never going to be lo- not complicated. It's so, always going to be complicated. Absolutely, because everybody's religion is correct, right? Right. Everybody's religion to them is correct. And the idea that... Um, it's freedom of religion and then and then the freedom from religion. Yeah, yeah. Can I just live without some of these things yeah. and be free to do so? Yeah. And to walk onto a public space mm-hmm. and to have that be an area, uh, you know, dare I say, a space for everybody. So, yeah, good documentaries, you know, you, you, you don't really start with a subject or a theme. You find a story. It's just like any other storytelling form. When I found the story of this group of people who had kind of done a prank that turned into a real religion, that's an interesting story. And so from there, you can explore these larger themes about yeah. American history and in constitutional um, law and um, and ethics and all this stuff. But the story of the Satanic Temple is essentially the story of these people who just created a religion. And it's yeah. amazing to watch. Like, how often are you on the ground floor to watch a new religious movement get born, mm-hmm. like right before your eyes, like with cameras, you know. So. And you were there. I was there, and it was and it was great. It was great, you, so much fun. I, talking to filmmakers over the years, um, do you uh, did you make some friends with this one? Did you make some friends on the Kenny G one? Did you of make course. some friends on the other films? Oh my god, that's so so much part of the fun of it, you know. Along with my intellectual dilettantism, is just you get to meet people, and I'm actually pretty. 
um, reserved and like more shy in my everyday life. And these projects like force me out of the house and they force yeah. me into conversations. Like, I can't believe I'm friends with Kenny G. I can't believe Kenny G's phone mm. number is in my phone. Like <laughs> he's such a great guy. I've learned so much from he him. He's nice. He's awesome. Yeah. He's like the most awesome person. And he was, first of all, just to go back to that for a second. Yeah. Which artist out there would agree to this project? I went to him, this famous mm -hmm. guy. He doesn't right. need me. No. He's very rich. No, like, he's, he's doing great. He's living on a mountain of cash <laughs> exactly. and gold. Yeah. And I'm saying to him, hey, I think it's really interesting and funny that people hate your music so much. Like, do you want to be part of this movie? Yeah, and he's like, right, yes. Right, like, right. name me another artist who would have said yes to this. Like, I, I uh, Michael Bolton, maybe? I don't know. I don't <laughs> maybe, know. Maybe. Maybe. But Kenny just like was such a dream about it. And the Satanic Temple was the same way. I mean, we came to them and, you know, of course they were quite um, nervous about what, what a film project like this might entail. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. but they really were so fun to work with and they really got it. They're very savvy. They're very media savvy. Yep. Um, and we just had so much fun. And I think I was attracted to the subject, to the, to that, to those characters in the case of the satanic temple, because I have like a satanic element in my personality, not in terms of the, like the aesthetics or like the, the words, like I'm not a satanist, but I have like the provocateur in me. Right. My films are provocative. Right. I'm trying to provoke people and I hope I'm doing it with a smile and I hope I'm doing it yeah. with a purpose. I'm not trolling. More than one person has called me a cinematic troll, which is very fine. It's like within the bounds of what I understand mm -hmm. um, people's reactions to be. But I'm, I'm not truly not trolling with no purpose. Like I'm trying to provoke interesting conversations and yeah. I'm not trying just to kind of like preach to the choir, as they say. I really enjoy like asking provocative questions and then kind of trying to get somewhere with it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so I think I related to the Satanists. I think I got like what it's like to be like the eternal kind of skeptic and the one in the room who's always like, well, what about this? You know, when everyone's it's going A, it's, you're it's, like, what about B? Yeah, you it's, know? it's being a contrarian. Yes, which is not- To some extent. I think, which of course I think is like a heroic stance, but I understand that like mostly people find it just very annoying. <laughs> well, you know, Nick and I, um, Nick Davis in the Trail Studio as well with Penny Lane, director of uh, some films at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. You know, Nick and I get together and we talk about the state of the world and we kind of agree with each other. Yeah. What helps, though, is when you get in a conversation with somebody who can just turn it. A yeah, I bit. mean, it's actually really Help important. You, you, you want to disagree with people. And again, I feel pretty confident in myself that I'm doing it with a smile on my face and with no mal intention. It's yeah. all about like you know, trying to get somewhere better in, in, in dialogue. Like, yeah. That's what I care about. That's like the thing that drives me the most. And artists can have any motivation at all. I mean, an artist's mm -hmm. goal could be to heal or to inspire or to outrage. Mine yeah. is to provoke. That's my goal. This the the next film. Just to move it along, folks can go and have a nice Q and A with you today. That's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be great for for the film people, and then also somebody who's maybe never been to a documentary film. They can ask questions too. Yeah, my it's movies are very the, accessible. They're not hard to engage with. I don't think <laughs> there's one that you I you know because sometimes I think documentaries are also for shining a light on something that a lot of people haven't uh, heard about, and this one called Nuts to me seems like we're living in a world where um we should all know the name uh dr john brinkley <laughs> and 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 the idea can you can you run it down and and um and you know it's a film that you uh, put together back in 2016 79 minute run length and it's about kind of a was he a quack 
<laughs> what was so, his whole what was his whole deal so this is a historic figure yes so um, real your person. other films you know kenny g's yeah, uh, alive and well and mm-hmm. and and everything else but this is uh, an historic thing and you actually use some animation to tell this story yeah so about a hundred years ago there was a guy named john brinkley who cu- uh, claimed that he had cured impotence with goat testicle transplantation so implanting goat testicles into impotent men to cure their affliction and you know he made a big splash and tens of thousands of men had this surgery um, and he became wildly uh, wealthy and successful and influential. <laughs> it's just—it's called nuts. It's called nuts. Okay. All right. And <laughs> it's a, all coming together. A few, I'm a little slow on a yeah, Monday. Yeah, there's a few few entendres there, but right. um, but yeah. So you know, the, you asked if he's a quack. I mean, the short answer is yes. Because <laughs> we're not doing this right now. <laughs> this is. But it's funny because like my goal with the project was, you know, I'd read a book about him called again. It was called a Charlatan. So mm-hmm. going into the book, you know, I knew he was a quack. Yeah. Um, but reading the book and telling friends about it, you know, as I was describing this to fr- many friends of mine, you know, I read this crazy book. It's this great story. Um, you know, the first question almost all of them asked me was, did it work? And I was like, no, no. But no, like, <laughs> but they always looked disappointed when right. I said no, because they thought, oh, maybe it was like, you know, well, we didn't have Viagra yet. And right. maybe it was like, you know, an early thing. And maybe. Sure, sure. So I realized like, this is, you know, he had no problem fooling people 100 years ago into believing this pseudoscience. But also I could tell from my friends' reactions that I might have no problem convincing people that this right. worked. Right, Because they wanted to believe it did. Right. It's like you'd rather live in a world where, oh my where mermaids are real, right? Like everyone yeah. wants to believe in mermaids because But that's our world right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want things to well, work. We was, want things to be as easy. This movie was way too prescient. Like I didn't mean it to be. Like I started it long before Donald Trump, like the film came yeah. out when he started his career I was like oh because we didn't mention this but John Brinkley also ran for governor of Kansas and and he he actually won Um, but then they stole the election from him all historians agree this is what happened and take that you know as you will but right he won the vote and then, you know, they found some way to throw out a lot of his votes so he wouldn't be the governor, which is probably for the best. It's confusing. In this, this <laughs> yeah, I feel really confused about how Touch I feel, the skills. Yeah, right, <laughs> how I feel right. like it was good that they stole the election from well, him. What's really know. interesting. Again, it, more pressures yeah. that I didn't mean to have. Like all of this is, is bizarre. The fact that radio was a part of this scam. Yes. And radio still exists. Yeah. Obviously. He was a huge but radio also entrepreneur. Online type stuff. So mm-hmm. we're all, it's almost like a guy who has a pillow company <laughs> that just has a giant megaphone <laughs> in some ways. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So the film, like, you know, it's kind of giving it away to say this before you've seen it, but. The film tries to sort work. of... It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, but that's not how the yeah. film is constructed. I okay. mean, the film is really like, you know, sort of... I don't know how to explain it. It's basically like sort of you go along with the scam until the curtain is pulled back. And you'd be surprised at how many people are just like shocked to realize, you know, pretty late in the film that this was a, a quack doctor because he was very convincing. Oh, yeah. And it's it's actually and this is part of, again, like you find the story and then the themes come through. Right. Like I had always been very interested in. Um, the quack doctors and pseudoscience more generally and these kind of health scams. And I found mm-hmm. it very interesting. But this was being an old story, being more comedic, being like in the past, allowed me to do it with a lightness and a sense of humor. But the lessons in it are very real. Like, you know, it's hopefully a manual for how to spot these people in the wild because there's just like a really simple playbook they use 
to to lie to you and convince you about their like miracle. Yeah. The word miracle cure, for example, is a good one to keep an eye out for. 